0: in your chair, green green cardstock, that is the actual statement of our church about what we believe about Jesus, about the Bible, let me say this very clearly. This is not anything we're going to waver on or change or considering changing. This is uh, what we believe, um, and we're not uh, engaging in any of these interviews to kind of waver on that. We believe this. The people I've interviewed and bring in, for the most part, would not agree with what we have written down, and we wouldn't agree with what they believe, but that's okay. You can still have civil gracious, dignified conversation. So this morning, I'm going to invite uh, Rabbi Sue Silberberg up here. Some of you know her. Let's give her a hand. Uh, she comes up here. <laughs> I've, known, uh, I've known Sue for a number of years just through different uh, campus ministry kind of uh, interactions. She serves at the uh, Hillel Center, which is on 3rd Street. Everybody's driven by it multiple times, but you've been the uh, leader there for how many years? Almost
1: 25
0: Almost 25. 25 years. So you started when you were 10. Exactly, how'd you know? (laughs) know. (laughs) Um, And uh, let me introduce her husband, Philip, that's right up there. Philip's got a really cool South African accent. So if you just want to hear an accent that's really cool, you got to talk to him afterwards (laughs) about anything, about anything. Um, So how long have you – what got you to Bloomington in the first place?
1: So I grew up in Indianapolis, and um, I went to IU as an undergrad, loved it. My senior year I had to go to Indianapolis because I was a social work major, and I said at that point I hated leaving, so it was – I didn't know it was my dream at that point to come back, but as I went to rabbinical school and studied to be a rabbi, I kept looking at college campuses because I knew I wanted to work on a campus, and everywhere I went, no place could match IU. Okay. So uh, <laughs> then it became my dream to come back.
0: Okay. and then. You're Jewish, but yeah, I think you told me before, there's like three or four main different schools of Judaism. There's exactly. Reform. Just r- briefly kind of give us a picture of that.
1: Sure. So there's Reform, Reconstructionist, Conservative, and Orthodox. Um, Orthodox is the most observant.
0: It's the, look, the always wearing the black and the curly. Exactly. New that's actually You think of Orthodox. New York City kind of stuff. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And then within Orthodoxy, there's... Sort of their own shades, but um, but they tend to be much more observant and follow Jewish law in what they believe to be the most traditional form. And then Reform would be kind of on the other end of the spectrum, um, more liberal and more open progressive. Too. Exactly. Is what you and were used then for. conservative and Reconstructionism are kind of in the middle.
0: Okay, so uh, and I, so you don't. So of course you don't speak for all Jews exactly. of all time. You speak <laughs> for you p- speak for your particular uh, genre, so to speak, but, and your own story. But uh, from your take, your understanding, uh, what is the good? How does somebody become a good person? What is a good person? Look like what, what would you yes. hope to be said about you at your funeral hopefully it 's long ways away from now, but <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. um, what 's yeah. the good life what 's a good so, person
1: to me, I think the most important for me that 's informed by Judaism, of course, and for me, I think the main or most important um, principle of Judaism if you take everything else away is that um community is very important and it's our job on this earth to make the world a more fair and a more just place um there's a concept in Judaism called tzedakah which is central to Jewish thought and Jewish beliefs which is that um we have a responsibility to make the world more fair and more just. And, and that's tzedakah, I think, word. is the
0: Hebrew word where we translate For righteous.
1: Righteousness righteous. or justice. So
0: when you see in the New Testament, a righteous person. That would New the- Testament, Joseph was described as a tzedik, a, a righteous person. The Joseph, the mother of – the mother. The husband <laughs> of Mary. But that's, that, that, So that word is kind of this good, just, just
1: person. person and that it's our responsibility in order to bring tzedakah or righteousness and justice into the world that we're partners with God in the ongoing creation of the world, and we call that concept tikkun olam, which means to repair the world. We know that the world isn't perfect, and it's our responsibility and our obligation to help to repair the world, and in Judaism we say that tzedakah is what we call a commandment. It's not something that we do because we want to be better people or because it's out of the goodness of our heart. It's something that we do because it's a commandment it's something that we're obligated to do
0: and and uh so how do you become what are there certain religious habits that you would say if you're encouraging iu students that you talk to that are jewish this is what you need to do to become that kind of person
1: it's a great question so within sort of the orthodox world, they would say that you want to make the world more holy and you want to make the world more just, and there would be commandments that you would follow of how to live your life. Obeying
0: all the laws. Obeying
1: all the laws of Judaism, but that's actually not the same as Sadaka. Okay. Um, So, for us, it's really, in looking at what we see, um, we have a a saying in Judaism that says, um, to save one life, it's as though you've saved an entire world, and to destroy one life, it's as if you've destroyed an entire world. So, for me, that teaches us that even when we're talking about doing tikkun olam or repairing the world, you do it one step at a time, and you do it in with community. You do it with other people, and you know you might have one person who first says, "I'm going to do this," and it seems impossible, and then you get one more person, and one more person, and one more person, and slowly you can make a big difference. Okay.
0: So repairing the world. Now, um, I told I was going to ask this question. Tell us how you. Understand us, and I'm saying us. Sometimes we're labeled as evan- evangelical Christians, conservative Christians, all those labels. I, I don't like labels. I always tell people I don't do labels, but but we are labeled that way. Tell us how you think, how you understand we are different from you in terms of what we believe, not you know, in terms of in terms of how how we become good people. Just what's your understanding of that?
1: It's a it's a great question, and it's funny because I think that. It's easier for me to start off by saying what I think we all have in common, which is that I think we're all looking for meaning and purpose in life, and we're all trying to do the right thing, and we all have a message that we feel like we have in order to do that. and so. I think that, for me, it's through Jewish tr- tradition and law and teaching and, and my family who's Jewish, and if you're born Jewish, then you're Jewish. You sort you can't you can't escape that. Yeah. Um, you're you're Jewish for your life, <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly. Even even those people, we have a joke kind of in Judaism, that even those people who convert out, actually, they're still Jewish, even if they don't realize it, because <laughs> yeah. once you're born a Jew, you're a Jew, yeah. but um, you don't yeah, get a yeah, choice, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but at the same time, um, so It sort of informs the way that we look at the world and see the world, but I think that for you, I really believe, and even more so actually after sitting here today and I kept whispering to Philip, wow, there's so much here we can learn about how to do what we do better, and so I think that – For for everybody here, you have a way of seeing the world, and what you really want is to have meaning and purpose in life, and that your Christianity helps you to do that, and it helps you to make the world a better place. And so I would no more come in, and it's actually against Jewish law to proselytize. Hmm. Um, We're not allowed to and if somebody comes wanting to convert we have to turn we're supposed to turn them away three times And then they can and then if they still are Mm. persistent they can come back But I think that that's there are many reasons Mm. for that But I think one of the reasons is is that I really believe that what you're doing is right Here because it's giving you meaning. It's giving you purpose You want to make the world a better place and you're you have a tradition that helps you to do that And so I respect that very much
0: and then and then, kind of the elephant in the room kind of question. The obvious difference would be, and I, I told her she knows he's right. to ask this question, fundamental difference about how we, or how we understand Jesus. So what do you do with Jesus?
1: You know, it's interesting. If, if, we didn't, if I didn't live in America, I probably wouldn't think about Jesus at all. And I don't mean that in a in a mean way or kind of a disrespectful way, but Judaism, Jesus is outside of what Judaism believes and not in a bad way or a good way. It just isn't because in Judaism, we believe that every person is responsible for their own, their own, um, deeds and actions. And so we don't we believe that we have both a good inclination and a bad inclination. We call it the Yetzir Hatov, which is the good inclination, and Yetzer Hara, which is the bad inclination. And so we are responsible every day. We're not created bad or good or evil. We don't we don't believe in original sin. And so for us, every day of our lives, we have a choice to make every day when we get up in the morning. And if we do something wrong, we call that we might call it a sin, but it's a different term than what christianity uses in judaism the word for sin is a word that means if you're shooting at a target and you miss the mark that's what sin is
0: you know what's interesting that's the word that sin really means even in the new testament but we've kind of it is kind of that missing of the mark Mm -hmm. but sometimes we uh we kind of take it to extreme and kind of make it almost legalized but it is missing of the mark exactly yeah yeah and yeah. so
1: for us, we miss. if we miss the mark, it just means that we can change our behavior and we can do better next time. And so if we do something wrong, we're supposed to go to the person that we've wronged. First, we go to the person that we've wronged. We ask for forgiveness. We do our best to make amends for what we've done wrong. And then we can ask God for forgiveness. Okay. And so it's it's almost as though we, within that theology, there isn't really... Jesus doesn't come into it because we're praying directly to God and we're speaking directly to those we've wronged and asking for forgiveness. And so it's not that I believe Jesus is wrong or right; it just is outside of what I believe.
0: And, and in your context, he's he's as we would say, we believe he is the Messiah, and you would say he isn't. He is not the now, Messiah. do you still
1: expect the Messiah?
0: I, I think we, I mean, we talked about this before years yeah. ago, but.
1: We do still think the Messiah will come but for us it's like the proof is in the pudding okay. in that um we believe that when the Messiah comes the world will be a perfect place and so until that happens we can't believe that that the Messiah is coming Okay
0: say that again I like so you believe the Messiah comes once the world is no, the, repaired
1: No the world well the Messiah would bring that Oh the, okay but once once the Messiah comes, we'll know it because of the world.
0: The world then will be apart. ushered in to become that kind exactly. of repaired place. Now, tell us, I asked her to do this too. When she was a college student here, she had an experience with uh, an evangelical Christian uh, from a Christian student group. We aren't going to name the group or anything, but tell, and it was hurtful. All right. Again, we believe truth matters, but there, let's be honest. Sometimes we can be—here's a theological term—we can be jerks to people. Um, so <laughs> why like don't you term. why don't you tell us um, why don't you tell us briefly about that experience and how that kind of gave you at least a, somewhat of a sour. Mm-hmm. Feeling toward not just the people, but even the message of Christianity.
1: Yeah, um, it was. I was a freshman. I lived. He, I lived in Foster, actually. In Anybody
0: live in Foster? <laughs> okay, oh, yeah, mm-hmm.
1: Great place, though. <laughs> and, um, there was a, a girl on my floor who was a senior, and um, she came up to me. I, I knew her as a friend. I didn't know her extremely extremely well. She wasn't one of my best friends because she was older than me, but I respected her a lot as being much older. And she came up to me one day and she said, "You know, I really don't know what Jews think about God." God, um, I would love to learn from you. And so I said, okay, great. And we went into her room and she pulled out a little booklet and she took the booklet and she, and each page had a um, quote on it from the Bible, from the Hebrew Bible, from the, from the old Testament. Okay. And then an interpretation of that. And quite honestly, at that point, I really hadn't ever studied Bible. And I, I was Jewish because my family was Jewish, but and it was important to me and I knew that
0: you were an ethnic Jew and maybe not a religious right. and, Jew and, at and that I point. And I had been
1: very active growing up in the Jewish community but not in studying about Judaism and so she went through <coughs> the booklet and she said you know this is the authoritative book on what Jews believe and I guess it didn't even occur to me to think at that moment well if if you wanted me to teach you, why are you telling me? But I didn't. I didn't even think. So you that. felt
0: little a little bit like it was a bait and switch, right?
1: I felt a little uncomfortable, but I didn't quite identify why because it was happening so fast, and um, and so it would have a an, uh, quote, and then it would have what that interpretation of the quote was, and she says, now, do you believe what this quote means and what your your teachings tell you? And I said, well, you know, I don't really know enough to answer that, but it, it looks okay to me, but but it I don't know. And then she turned page after page, and I kept saying to her, you know, the thing that's the most strange to me about this is that in Judaism, there's never one way to interpret anything, and that In our tradition, we do a lot of um, discussion about a text and about lines of text. And there's never one answer, but lots of different ways. And she kept saying, no, 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 no. This is the only way that Judaism interprets this, which I knew enough to know didn't sound right but i didn't know why and then finally it got to the last page and there was a quote on it and it said now if you believe everything in this book you must believe jesus is the messiah and at that moment i still remember and this was a lot of years ago and i still remember i felt like somebody had punched me in the stomach um, it just felt, it was so hurtful and just here was this person who told me she wanted to learn from me and I thought we were having a, an honest clear discussion with one another and really what she wanted to do was convince me of her way. And so
0: you felt like you were a project of an agenda so exactly. it wasn't, it wasn't, if I can say this, it wasn't the content of what was written there it was the the delivery that felt like it was an emotional manipulation if I can exactly. just put words in this experience. Yeah,
1: exactly because um, I knew that it wasn't and what it was interesting is what I said to her afterwards is I'm Jewish not because of anything that's written on a piece of paper and I'm not Jewish because a certain biblical quote tells me why to be Jewish and how to be Jewish I'm Jewish because that's the way that I was raised that's the language that makes the most sense to me that's what I believe, and it has nothing to do with the quotes that you've shown me. And she said, yeah, but you have to understand, I've done this searching, I've done this exploring, okay. I even went to Jerusalem, and I looked, and I and I know that this is the right way. And I said to her, but it's not the right way for me, and I believe that it's the right way for you, but it's not for me. And we went back and forth a little while, and then finally I just, look, I can't do this anymore, and I left her room. But it just it just felt like she was completely dishonoring what I believed and not hearing what I was trying to say. And I was trying to be respectful of her because I really legitimately do believe that what she was saying was right for her, but it wasn't going to be right for me.
0: But And it was what your experience seemed like was probably marked by the fact that the, of the pushing. Exactly. That felt like she was even not disrespecting you, your faith, but even disrespecting the dignity of you as a person. Exactly. Kind of... And again, we just so you, we we have you know in, as as Christians we believe there's time that we, there are those conversations you have with people who aren't Christians. Uh, proselytizing has the, has too many connotations. It sounds like I'm being pushy, but those conversations can be had without kind of without emotional manipulation. You notice even in, the, in our version of the New Testament, Jesus didn't emotionally manipulate people to get to a conversation. He spoke to them. He treated them with dignity and respect. Had a conversation, and then trusted God for whatever the results were. So I'm not trying to yeah. preach at you or anything. So no,
1: I, be- I really believe that, and so. I've had a, and you know, and I am very much involved in interfaith dialogue and interfaith work because I really believe that we have a lot to teach each other and a lot to learn from each other. And I think these kinds of conversations are so important. So I really respect and believe in doing that. Um, but definitely my fir- that was, I would say, my first experience in interfaith conversation, and it was not a positive one. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's But good. fortunately,
1: I've had lots that's more good. that were that's positive good. since then. <laughs> yeah, there
0: was one time, uh, Sue and I, and then a Catholic priest, it was Fa- Father Dan, who used to be at St. Yeah. Paul's, we were having lunch one time at a restaurant and I thought this is a joke waiting to happen. A pastor, a priest, and a rabbi were all, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all
1: having, yeah, having lunch yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, we weren't dressed to part. I mean, the priest had a collar, but I don't I don't I don't have any garb and I, she wasn't wearing any garb. You don't do you have
1: garb? Um, we do have like a, what we call
0: it 's <laughs> <laughs> um, a Greek word garb
1: exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can wear a yamaka or a kippah, which is a head covering, and then um, if it 's during services, we could wear a talus, which is a prayer shawl, and on the end of it there are um, six hundred and thirteen fringes, which in Judaism we say there's six hundred and thirteen commandments that mm-hmm. we follow, and those each fringe represents okay. one of those six hundred and thirteen commandments. And then some rabbis will wear during services like a, a black um, robe, but that's I think okay. that's something that I don't I don't think that's necessarily originated in Judaism.
0: Okay. But a lot do it. (laughs) Well, hey, do you mind uh, if I just pray a blessing over you and uh, over your husband as well? So, if you just extend your right hand, if you're near Philip, just extend your hand. Don't lean on him. Don't you know? (laughs) So, uh, I'm gonna just pray um, uh, the Lord bless you and keep you, Sue and Philip. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. Uh, May the Lord be merciful to you, and may He give you peace. Amen, amen. Thanks, Sue. Thank you so much. Thank you you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 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 Okay, and if, like I said, if you've been here last week and if you've been a part of the communication, um, I'm going to do a shorter. Much to your delight, a shorter sermon. Um, and I have told the people I'm interviewing, the sermon is no attempt at any kind of subtle rebuttal, which would be totally unfair debating techniques. No subtle rebuttal or subtle reference that we're just going through, passion, and the Sermon on the Mount. So, um, but I do find, actually, when I, sometimes I've talked to Sue, just her, when she talks about righteousness or some of the Jewish terms of the Old Testament, righteousness, um, you know, shalom, repairing, you know, the repair of the world. It does inform our, at least for, for us, it informs our understanding of the New Testament. It's been really helpful for me at times to hear her talk about some of her training in the old, what we call the Old Testament, they call the Hebrew Bible or the Bible or whatever. So, um, so anyway, just to keep that in mind. So let me pray and we're going to open up and look real briefly at God's word. God, uh, we're grateful for your goodness in our lives. We're grateful for your kindness, and we're grateful for the Holy Spirit, who we believe uh, is present in this moment, in and around all of us, in those of us who have welcomed the Holy Spirit of Jesus in our lives, and around all uh, who are here, who have not yet taken that step. So yes, just forgive us all of us ears to hear and eyes to see whatever you and your spirit want us to hear and see. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, opening statement here. An evening of sensuous, erotic, passionate, and selfless lovemaking between a husband and a wife gives God great joy. An evening of sensuous, erotic, passionate, and selfless lovemaking between a husband and a wife give God great joy. And we're like, well, okay, that's a great way to st- I have your attention, right? Okay, now let's talk about the Bible. No, just <laughs> And I'm saying this because the p- part of the Sermon on the Mount we're looking at today, Jesus talks about sex, sexuality, talks about lust, temptation. But I wanted to say up front, I want to make sure we understand up front, the frame is that God is pro-sex. It was his idea, right? I think his best idea, but it was a great idea, Right? And think about this, if you and I are created in the image of God and we are sexual beings, does it mean that God is a sexual being? In a way that may blow our minds and think about what is that, how does that? It may redefine how you think about yourself as a sexual being. Because maybe sexuality is more about the desire and the craving for intimacy and wholeness and union than it is about hormones and body parts. So if you're made in the image of God and you have, and sexuality was not pre-fall, it was part of how Adam and Eve were created, and if you're created that way, does that reflect something about the image of God where he he has a part of his nature, has a sexuality to it? And again, don't think about it too long because it blows your mind a little bit, but it kind of blows your categories because maybe the desire and intimacy that's reflected in sexual union between a husband and a wife, tells us a lot about God, maybe more than we've ever thought. So we've been talking about the, what I'm talking, calling the amazing teaching of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, in this case from the Gospel of Matthew. I'm calling it amazing because at the end of this talk we gave, the you know, Sermon on the Mount, Discourse on the Hill, uh, whatever, it said the people were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law they were used to. So there was something about the way he was teaching where they were like, wow. And these were ordinary, average people. It wasn't elite, educated, high caliber people. It was the ordinary people like we are. And they were amazed at his teaching. Let me say this too. Sometimes with the Sermon on the Mount, we, we've been led to believe to some degree in our culture that if, if there was a musical score to the background of the Sermon on the Mount, I think most of us kind of think, well, maybe it's kind of like, you know, some kind of nice ballet harp music or Nutcracker Suite, like, na 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 na, blessed are the peacemakers, you know, that kind of thing. When I think if I had to pick a musical score, one of them I might pick would be the background music to like Braveheart. Because Jesus is saying things that is revolutionizing how some of these people understand life and goodness and God. That's why they were amazed. They weren't amazed because he spoke with such poetic fluency. They were amazed because of what he said, and it rocked their world. To a point where they're like, we've never heard anybody like this before. So his part of the Sermon on the Mount is going to be from Matthew chapter 5. And i will let me just set it up this way. Jesus says, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, unless your righteousness, which is a word, to just Sadiq, you know, the righteousness, unless your righteousness goes beyond that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, unless you go beyond that, you can never enter the kingdom of heaven. And going beyond, because they're, they're thinking, okay, they knew all these behaviors that were the right and wrong things, and uh, Sue's even told me about some of the more conservative Jews that she knows where they emphasize behaviors heavily to the point where maybe it becomes heavy. <laughs> um, but the behavior- So Jesus isn't saying you have to behave even better than them. What he's saying, going beyond, which going deeper, going to a different place as you think about what righteousness is. Going not better behave, but go to a different place. You've got to figure out what does righteousness come from. So here's a passage in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says this. You've heard the commandment that says you m- must not commit adultery. right? Ten commandments, you must not commit adultery. Adultery having the same kind of, when you co- correlate it to some of the Greek words, same word we get pornea, pornography from. So you shall not commit adultery, which is technically any kind of sexual activity with anyone other than uh, your husband or your wife. You shall not commit adultery. So Jesus said, you've heard this said. And they'd heard it said they were all Jews. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus is kind of saying a whole different level. now. If, if, even if there's like this look um, that you embrace and welcome, the look, then you've already committed adultery. So, again, Jesus is kind of going to a different level, out of behavior down to the heart. So if your eye, this is going to continue the passage, if your eye, cause, uh, if you, so, if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, even your right hand is what it actually means, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. All right? I'm going to talk about, real briefly, three different gospels of sex. The gospel of sex, all right? Gospel meaning good news. So the word gospel means. So we're talking about what is the good news about sex. Because, again, we, Jesus came proclaiming the good news. And if you remember from last week, and I've mentioned this before, over and over when Jesus talked about the gospel from his own mouth and good news, the gospel was this, the kingdom of heaven is near. And by that he meant, and they understood, this life with God, this repairing of the world, shalom kind of life with God is now accessible to you people who've, been, who've thought your whole life, I can never be that way. It's now accessible to you. Through devoted to the devoted fellowship and friendship with him himself, which is Jesus. So the kingdom of God is near. Had the sense of oh, this near wasn't like near chronologically, but it's, it meant it's now accessible to you. You can have this kind of life with God you've always wanted. This this conversational, life giving kind of righteousness you can have it. It's and then they were like, well, we've never been told this before. So that's the gospel. That's what that's how Jesus defines the gospel. Kingdom of heaven is near. Life giving. Life with God is now accessible. And the implication he was saying was through devoted friendship with me. Follow me. That's why Jesus kept saying follow me. All right, so gospel of sex option number one. This is the gospel of what I'll just call the gospel of whatever feels good. This could be also called the gospel of Hugh Hefner and the gospel of our own Alfred Kinsey, Kinsey Institute. It's the gospel that says, well, if I'm feeling, have this desire For this kind of sexual activity in whatever way, shape, form, whenever, with whoever, and whatever. I need to to unleash the freedom of my desires. If I desire it, it must be good. So don't tell me I can't do that because that's oppressive and repressive. So it's the whole sexual freedom gospel. Gospel. This is the good news. The good news is you have sexual urges, you have sexual desires. Indulge them. Go there and do whatever your heart desires. That's the gospel option uh, that comes out of, you know, Hollywood. It's the gospel of romantic love. I'm not knocking romance, but it's the gospel of well, we're in love. Or I love this person, which sometimes, let's be honest, that's used as a way to justify lust for the person. But it's the gospel of all, you know, but let's also acknowledge that that gospel ends up yielding a lot of pain, devastation, despair, anger, harassment, rape. And let's think about, too, that gospel leads to unfair treatment of those who don't have sexual bodies, and I thought this. think about this, guys, for a second. Are you more likely to open a, a door from a really good, for a really good-looking woman or an overweight older woman? Do you, do you ever distinguish those two? And my guess is you probably have and not even thought about it. Because, again, our sexualized notion of, oh, well, wow, she's pretty, so I'll, I'll run to the door and open it. But if she's not, you almost kind of, I'm not going to. If your waitress is pretty. I'm not not saying we're all guilty, but we're all guilty (laughs) because we don't treat people as well who don't fit that sexualized mold. But we could, we should, we can be those kind of people. That's That's the gospel number one. The gospel of sex option two, as I'm calling the gospel of sin management, and my guess is every single one of us, if not most of us, have lived in this kind of gospel because it, it comes from every religious strain, including Christianity. And it's the gospel that says, figure out how to be in control of your behaviors. It's all about if I can stop the behavior, if I can control the behavior, if I cannot act that way, if I can walk down the street with my eyes closed, if I it's about controlling behavior. And let's be honest, and I will be honest about my own upbringing, the Christianity I grew up in was really a Christianized form of behave well. And and it's also the gospel of image management. I want to look good, so I'm going to manage my sin. So Christianity is really, you get your ticket to heaven, and then in the meantime, just manage your sin well so you don't forfeit the ticket. And some of you have experienced that. I, I'm going to try again. I'm going to try this again. I'm going to try to knock this off again. I mean, you know, girlfriend and I are sleeping together. I know we shouldn't, but we're going to start to start. But we'll try again. And we failed again. We tried again. We failed again. Or it's, oh, I know, I know I shouldn't be doing pornography, but I, I, boy, I try. I'm going to try harder. But I failed again. I failed again. I tried again. and failed again. And we try and we try and we try. It's the gospel of try harder. Try harder next time. Try harder. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to control the act and not the source. Because Jesus said, if this is your gospel, if the gospel is sin management, he says, if you really want to kind of eliminate the behavior, cut your eyes out, gouge your eyes out and cut your hands off. If you're really trying to eliminate behavior, eliminate all those things. But then he's saying kind of facetiously, but even that won't get to it because a blind person with no arms can still lust. So what he's saying is it's really the heart. How do you change your heart? How do you become a kind of person who lust is not even something that you entertain anymore? And it's not because you walk around like this or whatever. It's not because you're dead to the world and go live in a cave. Monks tried that. They'll go live in a cave to avoid sexual lust, and they still found they had problems. It's kind of like my wife years ago was doing this uh, weight loss program. I think it was called Way Down Workshop. And what they used to say was, if you're trying to lose weight, Don't try to make the food behave. Well, I'm going to eat food with less fat, less carbs. I'm going to uh, run off. You know, if I have a big piece of cake for dinner, I'm going to run it off. Because they said what you've got to figure out is what's the source of why you're craving to find your comfort in that food. Because you can't make the food behave. Because if you make the food behave, then fat becomes sinful. You know, chocolate becomes sinful. Because the food has to behave so I'm going to make the food behave instead of asking the question why is it that good I go to food for my comfort because fat and chocolate are not the issue I mean the Old Testament says my soul will be satisfied with the richest of foods amen amen chocolate yes, amen okay <laughs> so that's not the problem it's like the same thing if I, if I went into my lawn trying to get rid of the dandelions and all I did was snap off the tops, see they're all gone oh a week later they're all back What? I'll snap them off again and then you realize, oh, oh, I've got to get down to the roots. Because if all I'm doing is snapping off the tops of the weeds, they will come back and come back and come back. So you've got to figure out, okay, how do you get to the source of lust? So that gets us to gospel of sex, the good news, the accessible Having accessibility to the life and power that comes from God—the good news about sex—option three, it's the gospel of Jesus. Now, some of some of you might think, "Well, the gospel is Jesus came." I'm going to take this off. I think my I think my head is misshapen. It's never sit right on me. <laughs> I don't know. Am I dragging behind me now? Or am I Okay, well, it's good. As long as I don't look overly stupid. <laughs> okay. Um, the gospel of Jesus. So, again, remember the gospel is not simply you're a sinner and you need to change. Is that a true statement? Yes, it is. But if that's the gospel, you will be led into a sin management gospel. I'm going to control my sin. I've got to control my sin. I don't want to sin too often. Keep a checklist. I'll keep a scorecard. If my pros and outweigh my cons, I can keep my ticket. The gospel that Jesus proclaimed himself was not, I came to help you stop sinning. I came because you're all ugly, dirty sinners, and you need to believe in me because I am going to die and rise again someday. Now, we believe that's all true. But the gospel that Jesus said is, life with God is now accessible to you. The kingdom of heaven is near. You can be the kind of person who does not lust even from his heart. Through devoted friendship with me, is what he said. It, you change the root, not the heart. Change the root. I'm sorry, change the root, not the behavior. I can still remember. I've shared this before with this congregation. I struggled with pornography and lust before I was married. I mean, I'm not saying the, the struggles aren't show up occasionally, but that, not in that way. God gave me victory on those things. But I remember one time I was sitting in my apartment. I was single, and I was t- sharing with a friend of mine. I can't, you know. Can't seem to get past this struggle. You know, every week we'd talk. Yeah, yeah. I kind of I lost again last week. I messed up again last week, and it was just kind of that sin management. Oh, I feel. Try harder. Feel bad. Try harder. Feel bad. Try harder. Feel bad. Try harder. Feel bad. Try harder. 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 Feel worse. 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 And I remember what he said to me. His name was Dave. He said, "You don't. You know. You know what? You, you don't have to do that anymore." And just when he said, you you don't have to, you can choose not even. I mean, it was like, you have something in you. You don't even have to give yourself the lust anymore. And I don't know if somebody had said that to me before, but it was the first time I thought, I, I don't have to. I'm not a slave to my body. I don't have to. If I believe the spirit of Jesus in me, I don't have to. And it totally, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't solve all the problem overnight, but it started changing my thinking because it started realizing I need to get to the heart of the issue. And then they, and some, some of you might say, well, what do I do? And this is, there's a few things I've told people that I think help. Because, again, we're not trying harder. We're training better. I using an example last week. Paul Kostansky ran in the Little 500. Uh, didn't run in the Little 500. He ran in the mini marathon yesterday. He trained. He didn't just show up yesterday morning and try. But try hard. Try hard. Try hard. So training is why we do spiritual habits. Like one habit I've encouraged people to do if they struggle with Sexual issues, fasting. And you might think, well, fasting, it's food. No. You know what fasting is? It's a way to tell your body, you're not in control of me. Because your body says, food, food, food. And you can say, no, you are not in control of me. My soul, where I am, I'm in control. Because you're training your body to say no to desires that aren't necessary at the moment. So you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are in control, not your body. Maybe, maybe there are things you need to eliminate, take away. Maybe stop watching certain TV shows or magazines or whatever. Not, again, that, that's, that will not solve the problem, but it gives you some space in your soul for Jesus to get to some of the root issues as to why that driving weed keeps dr- keep popping out of the soil. Why does it keep coming out? But Jesus says you can be the kind of person. And we'll finish with this. I finished with this last week. Um, from romans eight this is paul 's letter to the church in Rome, and this is what he says he says through therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and if you have at any degree of sexual struggle in your life self condemnation is like hooked to your hip right oh, i can 't believe I did it again. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus." Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, I'm just going to uh, i will pick on Trevor back here because I know Trevor is a friend of mine. So here's the law of the spirit of death is, Trevor, you shall not commit adultery. And if you do, God's going to get you. That's kind of how we hear it. The law of the spirit is life, of life is Trevor. You're going to become the kind of man someday that will not even think about adultery or sexual expression outside of your marriage because you have a changed heart. You shall be that kind of man. You can be. You will be if you're a devoted friend of Jesus. Whole different tone difference. You shall be as, a, as opposed to you. You shall be. You will. You can win it's not a game to win, but you can, because God, he, Jesus can open up your heart and set you free if you let him get down there. Let's pray. Jesus, um, I'm assuming there are here, people here this morning that this issue is way too close to home and way too painful, whether they've been the victim of it or the, uh, the habitual abuser of it. But, God, we know your spirit is great, and we know your spirit of mercy is great. Your forgiveness is great. So I pray this morning um, that you would begin to work in every single person here to set us free from the sexualization that we've given ourselves to so we can be life-giving in our sexual relationships with our husbands and our wives. And for those who are single, they can still be sexual without being sexually expressive because they know that what you said, Jesus, there's a, there's a better way to live. So would you give us the power uh, from your Holy Spirit to be those kind of people? And we ask this all, Jesus, in your name. Amen.